The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Hi guys and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast, a show about all things Port Adelaide Footy Club. I'm your host, Macca19, and joining me, as always, we've got Fishing Rick. Macca, mate, how you going? Oh, not bad. Not bad. You sound very excited. Mate, how good was that? Oh, I was over the moon. I'm joyous, can't you Incredible. tell? Incredible. What a weekend. It was fantastic. It was Brilliant. beautiful. Poetry. Fantastic. Absolutely. And I guess for this evening, one of the forum favourites in El Scorcho. G'day, boys. G'day. Uh, beautiful weekend. Uh, can't, can't believe I got on for this game to review. Um, <laughs> can't ask for much more than that. It was perfect, basically. That's so, it. Brilliant. Look, before we get uh, started with the normal sort of formalities of the podcast, first final at Adelaide Oval, I want to hear about your experiences of the day. Rick, buddy, I'll start with you, mate. Yes, I, um, what did I do? I, I parked at the parklands in the 10-hour parking zone, not the uh, event parking area, Macca, mm-hmm. and, uh, and wandered over and uh, went and had a beer in the, uh, in the tent for the first time and I didn't know what any, uh, what any of the big footy... Um, posters looked like so I couldn't find anybody and I went up and uh, was waiting for my old man and uh, watching the 5AA crew and this guy comes up and goes ah f and idiot buddy f and s rose not there and I said yeah it is actually and uh, so we had a quick chat and I said oh you like port obviously and he, oh, I love him and I said here take a card and it was buddy Christo oh there you go <laughs> A big footy, and so I'm here yeah. soliciting out the podcast to someone who's a diehard listener anyway. So, but it was, uh, yeah, so it was great meeting him and having a quick chat, and and then I I went up and just said good day to Timmy G quickly just to uh, thank him for coming on the podcast, and and then we went up to the um, now I can't remember it. It's the the Gill Langley room, I think. Yeah. I, so I bought a ticket with my fancy my pants. Sack, yeah, with my well, it was the only ticket I can get because technically I'm not a member with the with the stuff that I buy. So we went up there and, uh, yeah, that was fantastic, actually. We're, so that was near, that's on the, the left hand. If you're facing the Riverbank stand, it would be on the right-hand side, I guess, or the western side, that corner mm-hmm. um, behind those uh, glass screens. And uh, I've got to say, fantastic viewing, um, great atmosphere with the windows open. It just rocketed around and it was, you know, just high enough but not in the nosebleed section to to just really appreciate, you could see the game unfolding, you could see where the spare players were, um, you know, and you could see what the players were going to do from that position, and it was amazing. You could tell we were just, obviously, we were switched on from the start, but we were just choosing the right option at the right time every time. When you lower to the ground, you you just probably don't pick up those things all the time, and, you know, it was fantastic. And never tear us apart, you know, it was uh, amazing. The crowd did a fantastic job, all the supporters um, should be proud. I, I flicked Jackson a quick uh, Trengove message today to say well done and what do you think of the atmosphere? And he said it was the loudest thing he's ever experienced in his life. So I think all the all the supporters and even the Richmond supporters should be very proud of uh, what it, what how we performed and behaved on Sunday. Yep, spot on, mate. El Scorcho, what about you, buddy? Uh, I went to uh, I basically parked the same place I always do. I've, I've got a mate who lives in North Adelaide. Uh, we had a, uh, a barbecue before the um, before the the, sh- the the game. Basically, we 
showed up there at about 12.30 and a, a few forum faces were there, including Dr. Feel and Lightning Rod. Oh, uh, we were nice. both there, so that was, that was good fun. Uh, we walked down. Um, yeah, beautiful day for it. The, the walk was really nice. Uh, lots of We got our sunscreen on because I'm sure I would have been burnt otherwise. Uh, couldn't ask for a better day, especially with our, our game style. Um, we sat in uh, the nosebleed section for us, which was row B of the, you know, we, we usually sit on the fence. So sitting in the second row was, uh, was you know, it was a lot further away, but we managed to deal with it. <laughs> um, so we, we were only a couple of bays around from where we usually sit. So it was very similar for us. Um, uh, nice. Really good seats, good people around us, which was good. Um, and yeah, just the day was amazing. Um, the, the pregame, I mean, hearing the Richmond fans get into it was really good. And, you know, there were, uh, was quite a number of them there, probably I'd say about, you know, close to 10,000. Uh, and they were sitting directly above us in the uh, in the black diamond seats, and they they were quite noisy when they were singing their song, but that was about as noisy as they got all day. Uh, and they didn't get close to us after that, as soon as uh, the Never Tear Us Apart started and stuff like that. So yep. yeah, the atmosphere was amazing. Uh, the first quarter was amazing. The whole day was amazing. So yeah, loved it. Brilliant. It's, yeah, it was funny though. Sorry, Maka. I was going to say just quickly when they did sing the Richmond song, I was thinking, shit, there's a fair few people here. Uh, yeah. supporting Richmond because they actually cranked out a bit of noise until yeah. our song came on and then the noise was amazing. Yeah, I, well, I think, I mean, given that we'd, we'd usually have, you know, 49 of the, the 50,000 people there, um, to have probably maybe, you know, low 40s in terms of pure port supporting numbers, uh, it was louder than I can remember. Um, and, I, you know, I've been to the, the other two games that have been uh, record setting. So, yeah, amazing, amazing amount of noise. It was unbelievable. Um, we were able to get a group of about 40 tickets, I think it was, uh, together oh, wow. in one particular bay for, for oh, all our mates. Was, that. Well, you know the right you people guys, and, and things happen. Do you know the right people and underhanded deals were done? Very lucky to know the right people and, yes, underhanded deals were done. So we got 40 tickets together in one particular group um, in the middle tier of the, uh, of the Riverbank stand. Up near sort of like the WAG section where there was all these um, like players, brothers and girlfriends and all sorts of stuff. And we were sitting, um, uh, we had Bruce Jete of Adelaide United sitting in front of us and Rebecca Morse and all these other people like Tony Mockbell. Um, or the guy that, sorry, not not Tony Mockbell. The guy that played Tony Mockbell on, on Underbelly was sitting just next to us. Ah. And, all sorts of stuff. So it was lucky. Right. Yeah. So we, we were all together and we just had the best time of our lives. It was just incredible. The, the atmosphere that was there was, um, you know, the atmosphere at our games all this year has been electric, but that just took it up another notch this week. I mean, it got going well before not giving in, um, you know, the, the power chant went around the ground and then, then not, then the players ran out and then never, never tear us apart was incredible. And, you know, I think it was so important that we started as well as we did um, just to get the crowd pumping and, you know, we didn't let up all day. It was just incredible. You know, the only thing that would have made it better was probably if my dad was there. Um, he wasn't able to go. Um, that would have made it perf- the perfect day. But um, outside of that, it was just the most brilliant day I've ever had at the football, I think. It was just bloody wonderful. Good work. Just everything, the atmosphere, what happened on field, it was just such an enjoyable day. It was bloody fantastic. Yeah, that's right. Couldn't ask for anything better. No. Well, let's get into our love and hate, which is one thing we loved, one thing we hated. Um, in and around Port Adelaide this week, El Scorcho, buddy. I'll start with you, mate. Um, okay. Uh, the love, I mean, it's it, just the first quarter. Um, it, it was said lots of times on the forum, but uh, just 
to come into a final where we know Richmond, Richmond are going to be gunning for us. And, you know, we've, we've probably had a bit of an issue with, uh, you know, really punishing teams when we've, uh, we've been on top and just to, just to, you know, everything went right for us. It was, I mean, it's, it was brought up again on the forum, but it was like, um, like the Geelong grand final where just everything seemed to bounce our way. Um, they'd muck around with the ball and, uh, and then we just get it and we just go down and score. Um, we just waltz down and score over and over again. Um, I, th- I think it's a, a quarter time. They had uh, they were beating us in most of the key stats. Apart from, I think, marks, they had more kicks, more handballs, more clearances, more contested possessions, more uncontested possessions. Um, not by a lot in any of those, apart from, obviously, free kicks, which was 12-3 uh, to 3 at quarter time. Um, yeah. But we just we, they were beating us in every stat, but we just every time we get the ball, we'd go and score. It was amazing to watch. Um and if I had to pick a hate, I would probably say, I mean, the, the Guernsey stuff was, was frustrating to start with, but um, I think we sorted it out. And I, yeah, I, I'm really happy with the way it went. Um, yeah. it, you know, if there was any ever any doubt that I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the prison bars and I would straight away swap them for our, uh, our home jumper and make it our home jumper all the time if I could. And if there was ever any, any lingering doubt I had about maybe keeping our current home Guernsey, it was blown out of the water by that game. I'd, <laughs> I'd be very, very happy to see us wear them every week. It was beautiful. Oh, it would be lovely. It would be great. Uh, Rick, buddy, what about you, mate? You don't want his hate? Mm. I thought that was his hate, oh, was which is almost it, a love it, as well. The only other hate I would have would be... It was two the, loves, uh, really. It was two loves. It, it, the only other hate I would have would be the uh, the injury uh, to White. Hopefully he can get on. Mm. Um, seeing Schultz go right. down there and... Yeah, that's right. Oh, hopefully with a, with a, with a uh, broken jaw, he can. Um, they're saying he might be able to. But uh, seeing Schultz go down at one point, holding his shoulder and hamstring at the same time, was a bit scary. Seeing a uh, heart leg go off with cramps and holding his hands was scary. But... Uh, yeah, White's the main one, I guess. That's the only really negative out of the day, isn't it? Uh, that he yep. was subbed early. Pretty much. Yep. Good work. I agree with that. I loved multiple things, Macca. <laughs> I'll try and con- I'll try and contain it to only a few. I I love the fact that we were able to win without Jasper having to dominate a game for a change. <laughs> you know, he he had a quiet game, yes, but you know the boys were able to cut the slack that he normally provides. So I mean, I thought that was fantastic. I love the I love the fact of the the uh, the noise, the volume, the interaction the crowd provided for the atmosphere, which obviously fueled the players as well. Um, I thought that was beautiful. I loved Cam O'Shea's beard. I've got a newfound respect for Cam <laughs> O'Shea now. That manscaped beard is a thing of beauty. And uh, there's while he's got that beard, he's in our team because. Uh, Beards are in, my friends, and uh, got to respect the beard. So I loved Cam O'Shea's beard. I, and most importantly, I love the fact that our players played football to how our previous players who used to wear, wear that traditional Guernsey would have played football. Yeah. The courage, the courage they played with on Saturday was the most courageous I've seen that group of players play. Uh, most of them have been at our club now for five years. You know, Jakey needs bump on Martin to clear the path for the ball for someone to pick it up was fantastic. His ability to take on larger and smaller or whatever players and not just Jake, but the whole team willing to put their body on the line. Hamish Hartlett, well done, man. You know, we picked him to have a big game and it wasn't a massive game in numbers, but his influence was outstanding. And that passage of play in the second quarter 
where everyone went up and, and went around him, and so they should, was just a thing of beauty. And those boys respected that Guernsey to a plum, and they should be commended for that. That's a lot of love. It is a lot of love, <laughs> but it was a, a loving love. day. And it's the hate. Cast. I tell you what, if there wasn't a mandate to try and keep Richmond in the game, I don't know what the hell was going on. The inconsistency with what they were paying at Richmond to us almost spoiled my afternoon by 2%, but we were so dominant, their bias didn't even actually matter. And Eddie Maguire, piss off, man. I'm sick of you talking about our jumper. You know, he's got no right to be controlling what another AFL club wears, and that's the problem with the AFL at this point in time. Too many Victorian influencers are actually getting on their high horse and telling what other clubs, especially that aren't from Victoria, what they can and can't do. For him to be sprouting off that they he made Port Adelaide sign a contract that will wear it once and that's it, you know, and the AFL signed off on it is bullshit. Right? This is supposed well, to be considering a... we've worn it like five times now. Yeah. Oh, it's um, just rubbish. You know, it's just yeah. rubbish. It's He's as bad as Kiss. I mean, how many comebacks can you have? Yeah, I was, like, saying, I was saying you know, John Farnham. This is the watch. last time ever. Yeah, but... Uh, you know, oh, no, sorry. This is the last time ever. Yeah. No, next time will be the last time ever. I've heard last time... Yeah, that's right. He said one time and then we were twice and then three. You know, it's just... It's, it's absolutely meaningless. <laughs> I think he's probably just trying to kind of put forward, you know, Collingwood's case as the, as the big club in the league and trying to kind of maintain an aura of being in control... It's very clear that he had nothing to do with this, um, but he used his position in the media to, I guess, make it look like he was facilitating it when I, I don't think he had anything to do with it. I'd be surprised if he was even asked. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Spot on. Absolutely. Look, yeah. my love this week is pretty simple. Never piss off Port Adelaide, I think. You know, mm-hmm. from the prison bar, I'm not afraid to say, I, I teared up when we ran out onto the ground. That was just, what a phenomenal Guernsey that is. I just love it. You know, from the prison bar to the emphatic way that we started the game, it was a lot of love. But for me, um, I love this week. It's got to be the atmosphere and the way that it really helped um, to maintain that momentum on field in the first quarter. Um, I'm a huge believer in the crowd having both a positive and negative impact on sporting events. And you know, there's plenty of examples of that. I think you only have to look at the 2004 qualifying final against Geelong. Um, as a bit of an example of where the crowd was really nervous pre-game, we'd lost the last three qualifying finals in the previous three years, and you know Choppy comes out and kicks a goal from outside 50 in the first minute. The crowd erupts, and you know they were just huge for the rest of that game. And I thought it was the same story yesterday. Um, you know, from the haunting rendition of, of Never Tear Us Apart to the wall of noise that came every time you know we laid a tackle or, or kicked a goal um you know i never thought anything would beat the 04 prelim um in terms of of sort of noise level but yesterday the noise when jakey need kicked that goal on the run in the first quarter was yeah. just out of this world i mean mm. it was just brilliant absolutely that was the the moment of the day for me that was that was where we went from uh i guess you know having a really good quarter to absolutely smashing them off the park i think that was yeah. uh it was the moment of the day that was brilliant absolutely Spot on. And my hate this week, it's got to be the way that the Maggies lost the game on Saturday night. I hate losing to Nord, and I really hate losing to Nord even more when we're three goals up with 10 minutes left. Um, you know, they just didn't try anything at all to stop their momentum in that last sort of 10, 15 minutes. I thought it was really disappointing. <laughs> I hope you've learned a valuable lesson, Macca. What? <laughs> I, I was sitting there, and I saw you stand up and do the wah-wah 
wiping your eyes to the Norwood, <laughs> Norwood cheer squad when we were three goals up. And I was thinking, man, you're a courageous man. I don't do that sort of stuff. Don't want to. Oh, it was great. It was great. <laughs> but, oh, but they were it. whinging like anything. That was uh, that was an interesting game. You removed eye contact after Norwood hit the front again, though. I'll just look straight forward from here on in. <laughs> yeah, my my eyes glazed over after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, these things happen, don't they? We got the power to win, power to roll. Come on, Port Adelaide aggression. We are the power from Port. Look, uh, let's go uh, straight into the AFL review. Um, you know, don't poke the bear; it might react. <laughs> Didn't we react in style? The scoreline I thought flattered Richmond in the end: twenty goals, twelve to eleven goals, nine. It was a 57-point victory. We led by as much as 81 points at three-quarter time. You know, Jakey Need kicked three stunning goals, and we had a number of multiple goal kickers. You know, Braddy Ebert, Gus Monfries, Jared Polek, Jay Schultz, uh, Westhoff, Wines, and Wingard all kicked two goals each. Um, to start with, what was your feeling pre-game? Were you were you feeling pretty confident, or were you a bit nervous? Uh, I guess. I, w- I was confident if we turned up, we'd win. And I thought, based on the Carlton game and the uh, the Frio game, I thought we were we were switched back on after our kind of um, late season lull there. Um, I thought if we didn't turn up, it would be close. But if we if we turned up, we'd win and win comfortably. I didn't quite expect it to be that comfortable, but uh, yeah, I, I was pretty pretty happy going in that we had their measure if we showed up, which we did. Yep. So good news. Yep. I knocked back plenty of beers before the game started. So. <laughs> It didn't bother me, and uh, but no, my nervous jeans um, were stripped off on Saturday, and I had my confident pants back on by the time I got to the Port Norwood game, and I was uh, I was pretty confident there on in. And when we saw the crowd come out and and do what they did, I, I thought the uh, the boys would be pumped. And after the first two goals, yeah, you could tell that they were uh, we were pretty confident. Just to just to uh, shut their crowd out of it as well, as we mentioned earlier, their crowd was you know they did reasonably well uh, before the game. They were pretty noisy for you know not what we I guess used to Adelaide Oval, but um, yeah, no, they we shut them up very quickly by kicking what seven goals in a row to start the game, uh, and that was really important as as we said earlier. The crowd can get into it, and they're the kind of crowd that have been so desperate I guess for some success that um, they travel in numbers and they. Uh, they really, you know, obviously means a lot to them, but to get them out of the game really early on as we did was fantastic. Yeah. What about you, Macca? Were you nervous still pre-game? Mate, I had my nervous pants on. Um, I was shitting my dax a little <laughs> bit there. Um, yeah. Not afraid to say that, uh, but look, that soon went away. As soon as we kicked that first goal, I knew we were switched on and, and we were never going to lose that game from that moment on, but... You know, as we said in the preview, it could have gone either one of two ways. You know, Richmond could have been absolutely chock full of confidence and come out and did what we ended up doing in that first quarter and just, you know, come and, and storm the game and, and make it over at quarter time. Um, or they could have experienced a huge mental letdown um, because they already achieved their goal of making the finals. It's very, very hard to, to reevaluate um, those goals in such a short space of time. Um, and I always think back to the 2002 season when you know, it was Port versus Brisbane all gunning for you know top spot and the MCG rule was in place and you know we we just had to win that last game to get top spot to ensure that we had a prelim final um, if we won the first week and then we uh, ended up stuffing it up the week week after that and we didn't get that home prelim anyway mm. um, and I feel that Richmond sort of experienced that same sort of thing where they achieved their goal and they they just couldn't back it up. 
this week. And as I said, as soon as we kicked that first goal, you know, it was game over. I knew we were switched on and we were never, ever going to lose that game from that moment on. Is the is the rumour true that you were actually worried that uh, Troy Chaplin was going to have a best on ground performance? That is absolute rubbish. <laughs> he was <laughs> never, never, ever going to have any sort of impact in that game. <laughs> I thought I thought no, he was one yeah. of our best players. Sorry, I thought he was one of our best players. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Oh, if if we if we want to do the uh, the Troy Chaplin laughing session uh, now, then let's uh, let's go for it. He was absolutely woeful. Uh, that was uh, one of the most embarrassing finals performances I've ever witnessed. Oh. Yeah, the yeah the, the booing when he got the ball, followed by the Bronx cheering when he kicked it straight to one of our players, which happened multiple <laughs> times, was uh, very very satisfying. And I think uh, after the sting had gone out of the game. Uh, probably after halftime, I guess, you know, we, we clearly took the foot off the throat a little bit. Um, yeah, just, just being able to boo Chaplin and watch him just crumble under pressure, which is a very Chaplin thing to do and a very Richmond thing to do, um, was very satisfying after the kind of stuff he said about the club. Spot on. I think uh, it was the Troy Chaplin comedy hour in the first uh, in the first half there. Just Especially in the first quarter, I, I watched him intently just to see what was going to happen and I think he had four opponents in the first 15 minutes and they all kicked goals on him. That, that's how bad he was in the first 15 minutes. And it just summed up. Um, it all came to that huge crescendo when he started jogging after the ball and Schultze knocked him over and he fell on his ass and then we kicked another goal. I think that was our fifth goal in a row. And, you know, it was just one of the most laughable things I've ever seen, I think. Well, how bad was his um, physical presence in the game? It was pathetic. I mean, Non-existent. He, uh, I think Chad Wingard just broke a pee-hearted tackle just to waltz into an open goal. It was either him or Need, one of the two. Um, yep. But yeah, he just had no physical presence at all. And for a, a guy that's supposed to be what six foot five or whatever he is, he's body soft as butter. And that's it. I mean, Triby was sitting behind me again, staring at the back of my head, and he said, um, "You know, ten minutes in, he went from standing Westhoff to standing Jakey Need." And <laughs> Triby said, "Doesn't that just sum up Troy Chaplin?" And it mm. absolutely does. I mean, he just has no physical presence. He, he he just can't, you know, he it's the classic, you know, looks like Tarzan, plays like Jay. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the thing I used to get really angry at when he was with us was, uh, you know, there'd be an opposition player under a hospital ball and you think, you know, if you're charging into a player under a hospital ball, you either take the ball and kill the contest or you take the man. And he used to just float past and let guys run off. You know, uh, and we, yeah. you just saw everything that we used to see about him and get frustrated with. Um, yeah, all happened in that game. And it was just a classic Troy Chaplin game. Um, well, I think that uh, that Daniel Rich moment sort of uh, spooked him a little bit where he sort of ran through Daniel Rich mm. got suspended for yeah. a couple of games and he was never the same after that. No, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think that's he, he started to kind of, you know, take a step before he go in. But, I mean, it just went way overboard. You know, there's, there's being careful not to hurt people and there's just being a complete fairy around every contest you go into for the rest of your career, you know. Um, it was it was Nathan Loney, uh, uh, Nathan Cracker type stuff where he just wasn't getting in. Sorry, when I say Nathan Cracker, I mean old Nathan Cracker, not uh, not recent Nathan Cracker. But, um, yeah. you know, just uh, especially as a leader of the club, um, which, which he purported to be, and he was, I'm not sure if he was a vice captain at one point, but um, he, I know he was definitely a, yeah. considered a leader. And... Uh, when young players see a leader doing stuff like he was doing, um, that's why you know, probably why we were so bad for so long. 
I think, uh, as I wrote on the board today, you know, I think he's just the classic front runner in the AFL at the moment. Where if his team is going well, Chaplin looks a million dollars because he he can do the things that his teammates allow him to do. You know, he can zone off and take those uncontested marks, and he looks fantastic. He can point his finger up the ground, you know, kick it that way, and he looks like a bloody champion. And you know, but but when his team's under the pump, he never ever stands up. Like I've, ne- I can't remember a single game that he played for Port Adelaide where he changed the course of the game mid-match. Yeah, what about that game where he took the mark right out in front of goals to win us the game from 15 metres out, out and yeah, kicked it out on the full. That <laughs> exactly. influenced it influenced the game. Not but in our favour. You look at guys like uh, Tommy Jonas and the roles that he's been able to do mid-match. I think of the first showdown last year where he went on to Taylor Walker, who was killing us, and he just like he didn't get another kick for the rest of the day. You look at Jackson Trengove and the jobs that he can do in multiple positions. Troy Chaplin's never done anything like that. No, yeah, Jonas, his physical. I mean, Jonas is a very complete defender. Um, he's, you know, his physicality one-on-one is amazing. Um, and to compete with guys who are 10 centimeters and 15 kilos bigger than him. Um, but then he also, I mean, probably when he first started with us, he, he didn't quite have that offensive side and he, he played within himself. So he wasn't turning the ball over like Chaplin was, but he's developed yeah. such a good attacking side and he is a, a really good part of our rebounding defense and, uh, 12 marks yesterday. Um, just nothing went past him. It was amazing. Yeah. That's it. Well, enough of uh, talking about garbage. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I want to talk about that first quarter and where that sits in sort of the uh, the pantheon of, of the Port Adelaide Football Club uh, moments. Uh, for me, that there's only two quarters that are really comparable to that, and that's the uh, the 94 grand final, obviously the fourth quarter, and, and also the 1990 prelim, uh, the first quarter against North Adelaide, where I think we kicked something like 13 goals to one, um, and the game was over at quarter time. But... That, to me, was just the, the perfect quarter of football that you could possibly play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look, couldn't agree. Uh, couldn't agree more. That's, um, yeah, just given the build-up, given, you know, uh, how Richmond were going to come at us and the, and the hype of the game, um, to come out and just take a game away from a team uh, like that. You know, you've seen it happen. I think it came up on the boards. Uh, Triby brought up uh, the Essendon Gold Coast game, and they also, they almost scored 100 points in that in that quarter against Gold Coast back when Gold Coast yep. were very new. But uh, it, it was along those lines. We didn't score 100 points, but um, if we hadn't had nine less free kicks, I think it may have gotten <laughs> it may have gotten to 70 or 80 points. Um, you know, we just – it was just a complete dismantling. Um, yeah, job done at quarter time, basically. Um, in, in a big final like that, uh, amazing stuff. Uh, well, the best is- I can remember. The uh, You had the non-finals quarter against Brisbane where we kicked 10 goals – to Brisbane's nothing. That was a pretty pure quarter of football, but I guess there wasn't really a um, the pressure on the line as there was in a finals game. Um, the first quarter was just making me have memories to the 89 grand final with North Adelaide. Obviously, Richmond ended up kicking more of a score than that, but just the complete dominance over a side, even for the first half, it was almost comparable to that game. And a few people that were in the same room as us were making reference uh, reference to the 89 grand final against the Roosters. It was uh, um, just a complete dominant display. And uh, like you said, set up the game from there. You know, halfway through the first quarter, you, you knew there was, there was no chance that they were going to come back. So um, I guess the question is, how did we get so dominant in that first quarter? 
Look, I think uh, everything we've been critical of on this podcast over the last couple of months, um, we fixed and did it to the best of our ability. And I'm talking about our tackling, which was just absolutely ferocious. It's probably the best I've ever seen our club at AFL level tackle. I thought our handballing was phenomenal. I know I, I said about three or four months ago that I thought our handballing skills, especially in close, were the best in the league. And from that moment on, our handballing skills went absolutely down the toilet. But, I mean, that was the best we've had all year. Just we hit the target with those hands in, in contests every single time. And our goal kicking, which has been a bit of a disaster over the last three months, was just ludicrous. We were kicking goals from everywhere. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for, for me, I, I think the thing to remember about this this game is it it was a team that fell out of the four by having a bit of a, a, a you know a rough patch. We I think we're a top four quality side. Um, obviously, you can't just say that you have to get there. So you know that's what uh, yeah. Well, you know we'll finish off this year and we'll make sure next year we do. But Richmond were also a side that fell into the the eight, and they're a bit like Geelong this year in that they had a lot of wins in a row, obviously nine to finish the season, but they weren't dominating wins. You know, they played us at our at our worst point and had an easy win over us when we weren't in our least competitive game of the year, in, in my in my opinion. They played Sydney when Sydney had the cue in the rack, and the rest of the games, they, they won, but they didn't really smash teams off the park or really assert any dominance. They just kind of got over the line, and Geelong were doing the same thing. So, so Richmond kind of fell into the A, and we fell out of the four, and, and that's probably you're looking at a team that is you know, borderline finals quality versus a team that should be competing for a flag, and I think that's what you saw. Um, not, not, I mean, obviously, everything. You know, we obviously came out breathing fire, and they came out uh, with a bit of a letdown after the week before. But um, yeah, the, the the golfing quality of the teams was very apparent. And all our leaders stood up in that first quarter. You know, Bokey had a massive quarter. Uh, the guys down back, you know, Trengoven uh, and Homsch and uh, Carlisle had fantastic quarters. Uh, guys like Ebert and Harler in the midfield were just uh, were just dominating. Um, and then there's a bloke called Jakey Need who just had <laughs> one of the most magnificent quarters of football I've ever witnessed. Yeah, look, he he's he's been amazing since he's come he's come in and he's grown every game. And uh, you know, I think a lot gets made of his size, but I think he's a little bit more nuggety this year than he was last year. Um, seeing yep. him put that bump on Dustin Martin to knock him off the ball was oh, amazing. Um, and he just seems to be able to compete physically in a way that he couldn't really do last year. And you think he's only going to get a little bit bigger and stronger and smarter about the way he uses his body. Um, and he's such a clever player, um, got a lot of heart and makes good decisions. Um, we get a real player on our hands if he continues along the development path he has uh, over yep. the last year. So. That's Very right. exciting. Yeah. Our passion, Perfect. I think, which, which is what made us dominant. So uh, we, were, we played passionate football. And um, our small players, uh, which was one of, one of our calls uh, in the preview, um, having an influence from our small, small forwards, for example. I think Chad Wingard in the first quarter leading tackler with five tackles, and that was probably um, the largest output we've had from Chad probably in the last couple of months as well. Um, so even though he didn't necessarily impact board or take those high flying marks at the beginning like he did at the end, um, his tackling and forward pressure was just intense, as was the whole team. Um, defensively, we were structurally sound. Obviously, um, we uh, we must have read the Richmond playbook. We had the loose man, and, and Richmond didn't counter our loose man. They didn't make Tom Jonas accountable in that first quarter, which was staggering. You know, after our after our dominance and that the first three goals and the run we were creating, 
I would have thought they might have switched the play to go maybe man on man to to try and make us a bit more accountable and lock the game down. Instead, they just sort of let let the game free flow and stay open. And yeah, it was just it was almost crazy coaching in a way. And I think one of the biggest insults for me probably the last day um, is the incessant bashing on Cochin for kicking into the breeze because the way we played. The, the, the breeze was negligible to our score because um, we were just running and carrying with fluid ball movement. Um, even though the breeze was obviously an advantage, it wasn't the be-all and end-all for us dominating that quarter. Yeah, no, no you, you, you're pretty well right there. I think um, I think the criticism of Cochin choosing to kick against the breeze is, is fair enough because it was a bit of a, a baffling decision, but... The thing that gets me is a lot of Richmond supporters and, and other people as well have said, oh, well, if we kicked with the wind, we would have been five or six goals up instead, <laughs> which is just ludicrous. I mean, yeah. if we had have kicked against the, the breeze, as we saw in the second quarter, we still would have been five or six goals up ourselves anyway. Yeah, look, um, it, it was just, you know, I, I don't think it would have mattered. I think I think what Koch and, and what the Richmond coaching staff were probably thinking was it's going to be contested and tight early being a final. Um we know that not only was there the breeze, but there is one scoring end and the non-scoring end at uh, Adelaide Oval with, with the, the, uh, the closed ending a lot easier to score at. Um, and I think he thought maybe it'll be a contested first quarter and break open in, in the second quarter and them having then two quarters at the, the scoring end would matter. But uh, it just, it was just shocking all. They just, you know, we just completely overwhelmed them. And, and uh, you know, as you said, they didn't seem to counter anything. I, I think by the time they, they realised what was going on, it was game over. Um, yep. But by the time they could put anything into place to stop what we were doing and man up on our spare or, you know, do anything, it was just, you know, we'd just done too much. Um, we just put too many, too much score on the board and we'd gotten, you know, too far ahead psychologically for, for anything they could really do in the coach's box to make too much of a difference. The other thing I thought was interesting was that all the players that um, have needed a rocket that we've been pretty critical of, they all came to play in uh, in massive fashion yesterday. I mean, you look at, I mean, Jared Pollock played probably his best game for a few months. Same with Gus Monfrey, same with Chatty Wingard. Hoff was uh, was fantastic. Lobie, who got completely worked over um, earlier this year by Marich, was, uh, was dominant in the ruck. Jakey Need was fantastic, and Brad Ebert had his best game in the second half of the year as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was really good to see all those guys step up, uh, Polek especially. Uh, I've been quite critical of Ebert. I think he, he just hasn't quite had the output in the second half of the season. Um, hasn't been quite as reliable with his with his marking and his, uh, his disposal. Uh, but, yeah, he just seemed to be in the right place at the right time again. Uh, in this game, which which was his, I guess the story of his first half of the year was he would just be where we needed him uh, as a link man, taking in his set mark, uh, all that sort of thing. Um, and it's been missing a bit from his game, although the effort's been there. Um, it seemed to come back in a big way uh, yesterday. Uh, he just seemed to be in the right spot at the right time for us, which is, is you know, when he's at his best, that's what he's doing, I think. Don't discount ET's... Um... Love free, but his uh, gut-breaking line running. I think he was one of our best players in the first half. And, I, I mean, for me, if we're going to assess player performances, it really is all around what happened in the first half because, I mean, um, the second half was just sort of uh, chump change and junk time, really, killing time. Yeah. But uh, Ebert was one of our best players in that first half. And his run-down tackle uh, in the first or second quarter, I think it might have been, but just his his link up play and continual ability to run hard. I thought I, I thought it was his best 
game in, in two and a half since the Sydney game against Kennedy. Um, yeah, it was fantastic to see him back in full flight. And, and I think the key macker, and I think you pointed it out, I think was it in the preview this week or last week, you wanted, the, you wanted our leaders to stand up and all our leaders did stand up this week. Yeah. yeah, I think that was last week against Frio that I said that, but yeah. Yeah, week, week later, but the most important time for them to stand up. Oh, I thought we did it. We did a really good job defensively on a number of their players as well. I thought uh, Cochin was absolutely thrashed by Kane Corns. Um, you know, Westhoff did a fantastic job um, on Chaplin. Schultz killed Rance. Um, Carlisle did a brilliant job on, uh, on stopping junk time Jack. Um, mm. And even though uh, Delidio had heaps of the ball, I thought he had a, a real ma- sort of marginal influence um, offensively. It seemed that all his disposals were seemingly in the back half, I thought. Yeah, I just didn't really notice Delidio. He had a lot of the ball, but I, as you say, just no damage at all. Um, just on um, on Corns on, on Cochin, it was the... Uh, the second time in three weeks that he's gotten a player of that caliber of the, you know, cause he did, did the same thing to Murphy where, you know, halfway through the game, Cochin was taking a swing at him and, you know, just getting so yeah. frustrated with, with Corns' tagging um, that he was, he was lashing out. And, you know, you look at Cochin and Murphy as two guys who have won the, uh, the award that Gray just won the, the coaches association trophy in the last, um, in the last couple of years. Or I think they, I yeah. think 2011, 2012. So two very good quality midfielders who have been taken out of the game to a point where they've been taking swings and jumper punching cane corns. Um, he's as good as he's ever been at tagging. Um, oh, absolutely. To, to cut, I mean, look, my opinion on Richmond's good players is that they are, uh, they don't stand up when it matters anyway, but to cut a guy out to the point where he's, he's so frustrated. He's taking a swing. At you, you know, you've done the job as a tagger. And that was absolutely brilliant. I thought corns, um, if he can do that job again for the next, next week and hopefully, hopefully the week after it'll go a long way to us getting further into the finals. What do we think of uh, Alex Rance's uh, little meltdown in the last quarter there? Uh, pressure, mate. There's just <laughs> pressure getting to him and, you know, tired and fatigue and, you know, it's just sport. It's not, he didn't clobber him, so, you know, it's not the end of the world. He, you know, yeah, he stomped on Monfrey's face, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, who stomped on Westhoff's face? Someone's trod on Westhoff as well. well. Maybe it was Westhoff's face. Yeah. It was yeah, definitely Rance sure. that did that. Yeah, well, that was just near the uh, centre square, wasn't it? Outside, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that um, was that was west off. Yeah, that was filthy. Um, uh, in in the goal square, I mean, if someone's taking a mark on you in the goal square and you're getting thumped and knocked out of the finals in a game like that, you know, it's like they say: if you give away a fifty and someone's going to kick it, kick the ball from the line, you may as well tell the umpire what you think. And I think it was a bit of that. Yep. He just thought, you know. <laughs> It's not going to matter now. He's kicking it from the goal square. I might as well dump him. I'm not going to lose anything, and I just get a bit of frustration out. So, um, again, it's just just a player who I think has had a really good year. You know, uh, he's been been in the the All Australian calculations, and he just could not get anything done against us. And we just frustrated him to the point where he had to lash out and and uh, you know kind of snipe us physically because he couldn't do anything with the football, which is really yeah. good to see. No, that's right. I just think our. Um... You know, in relation to our ball skills, it, it took me back to the first showdown and probably the Brisbane game where uh, our handling was just pure. Um, I was when I was watching the game, I was thinking of the the Bogues commercial, uh, tipping the uh, impurity into the into the fresh water and coming out, you know, pure as and and that's and that's how our but that's how the football was, you know. Maybe the boys were drinking Bogues before the game and uh, and that's what resulted in it. But that's 
that's what we were playing in the first half of the year. And, and I think it was, a, in a way, it was a massive advantage to be playing daytime compared to nighttime, even though there wouldn't be any due at this time of the year, most likely. But so for us again, Frio this week at what, what is it over there? 5.40-ish, that local time, is that right? Yeah, something yeah, like about that. that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I know this isn't the preview, but I think, again, it probably works to our favour, that sort of time. Uh, we seem to be a more uh, daytime-orientated team in relation to our ball skills. Um, so, you know, it was... But the ball skills, that it took us back to the first part of the season and they, they were crisp, they were clean, the boys were concentrating and they were efficient and direct. And it was just great to see Jared Pollock come back to form, you know, and... And people were, were hastily calling for Jake Need to be uh, dropped after one bad game. Um, you know, we were questioning whether Pollock should be on the side or in the side. And I guess, you know, the coaches stuck fat with those players and, and we get the, the results and the, the fruition of that now, don't we? Uh, just, just, in, uh, just in relation to that daytime thing, I think um, uh, Russell Lieber handball says it a lot um, in that, you know, when we go into winter, we're going to do start, you know, start doing things like picking Logan because it's a different style of game. And I think we're definitely, with the slick handball and slingshot type play, it's definitely a, a, a you know, a good weather thing. And having such a, a beautiful day, uh, just walking into the ground, you got a feeling that it was going to be a good day for us um, based on that. So I definitely agree yep. with the, uh, the good weather. And fortunately, September is usually pretty good. Touch wood. So, mm. yeah, hopefully it stays on. That's it. Our, uh, our fantastic leader and captain, Travis Boak, how much more development does he have in him? Can he actually get any better than he is right now? Because he is just phenomenal. I think point. so. I, I think he can probably take it to another level. I think, uh, I think his next achievement will be uh, to play more games like he did yesterday on a regular basis. Some There are some games where he's brought down. And I mean... I'm not comparing him to Gary Ablett, but if you look at who is the top tier of AFL player and what Chris Judd used to be, they would do those performances, or Gary Ablett still does, week in, week out. And, you know, not Travis isn't an, uh, a poor player by any means. He's an elite player. Um, but I guess he can take, take it up to super, super elite by just racking up those numbers on a consistent basis. And I can't see why he can't do it. He was fantastic. What do you have? Sixteen contested possessions yesterday. I think more than uh, twelve you know, clearances. Yeah, yeah, you know, he dom- his stats dominated like Richmond as a team almost. I think you know he was he was just magnificent, and he took the boys and it was a on a on a ride with him. And it was interesting on on Fox Hill during the week in the pregame stuff when we did actually get a mention mention outside of Richmond. Um, I think they were talking about tagging Boak like Ross Lyon will tag Boak over. Gray because Boak in the big games averages ten more super point super coach points. Not that I know much about that stuff um, to Robbie Gray. So in the big games, Travis Boak's the one to stand up, you know. And it's it's testament to him that he's become he's sta- stayed loyal to us and he's become a fa- fantastic leader and you know he, great captain's performance. It bring he brings me back with all the great captains and I'm sure he's proud that he's wearing that number one on his back especially with that prison bar Gansey. Definitely. Is he the best um, big game player we've had at AFL level? It's a big call. Treadray mm. was pretty big. Yeah. Uh, Wangadine as well. 
was a very mm. big, big game player. Look, definitely in recent times. Um, you just, I mean, I, I mean, he cops a hard tag every week. Um, and I think maybe sometimes we forget just how good he can be. Um, and I think mm. uh, Rick's right that he just needs to develop, you know, breaking that tag and, and doing it week in, week out. Because when we've seen teams that just decide not to tag him or, you know, forget how good he is and tag someone else, he just destroys teams. That's when he gets his, you know, 40 possession games. And, um, you know, you, you've got to sit someone on him, I think. And, and if you don't, he's got, we'll, we'll pretty much will win the game because he'll control the game through the middle. Um, but uh, I think not only will he get better at breaking a tag as he gets older, but uh, the supporting cast around him, the Gray, Wines, uh, Polek, Hartlett, those kind of guys will make it a lot harder for teams to pay that much attention to Boke. Um, and he'll, you know, similar, I mean, I, I don't, don't want to get ahead of myself here, but similar to the Geelong midfield where there was just so many guys contributing that you couldn't really cut them all out and you just you pretty much had to go head to head with them. That's what we want to achieve eventually. And I think we've got the base to do it. We've just got to continue our development. Yep. Yeah. Good call. I think it's worth you guys having a quick comment because you didn't say something uh, too much in my love, but um, how did you guys feel with that? Well, you had about play? 15 loves, so I didn't know what, which one we were supposed to talk about. <laughs> well, I'm getting there. I'm talking about the Hamish Tartlett courage going oh. for that 50-50 ball. How did, it make, how did you guys feel? What, are, you know, what were your emotions with that passage of play? That, well, that was, was my of the, play uh... of the day. That was my play yeah. of the day. It was just one of the all-time great Port Adelaide finals moments, I think. You know, just his courage to do that with the injuries that he's had, especially to his shoulders, um, and to cop that huge hit, dish off the handball, and then we run into goal. I mean, that was, yeah, absolutely the play of the day. I agree. Just just the combination of, like, a sledgehammer sledgehammer like that, and then just the silk with the handball. In the sp- you know, at the same time, there was no... Um... There was no kind of, you know, like he did one than the other. He, he was a sledgehammer in and then bang, handball off. And perfect, you know. Um, I think that's what Hamish brings up. You know, I, I'm guilty myself of thinking, you know, maybe if we could lure over a, a Jeremy Cameron, maybe Hartlett could be one of the ones we look at getting it off. But I have I take that back now. He's just uh, he's just developed brilliantly and he's just a complete footballer. He just can do everything, yep. you know. Um, and he, I mean, you know, you know, the kind of the good looks uh, – mask a very very tough footballer and a, a very uncompromising footballer and someone who similarly to gray now that he's gotten over his injuries is really starting to show us on a regular basis how good he is uh and i just love him as a player he's just got everything the midfielder needs yeah. he's now Ooh. the player that we always hoped that he would be yeah it was to me that the whole passage of play uh, from it starting until the resultant goal, I, I looked at Tyler and uh, I said to him, mate, that's probably one of the most purest team goals I've seen in a long time. It yep. epitomised um, team football and that's what our first half was, was pure team football where every player played for each other, um, willing to sacrifice for each other and just did everything for the team. I if I was to be super critical, I can only think of one maybe little individual moment in that first half where it could have been a bit more team orientated, where where Schultz sidestepped the forward and ran into the goal when he probably could have handballed over to Chad and Chad could have run into an open goal. But I mean, I'm being very nitpicky. Yeah, that would probably be the only thing in the whole half of football which was just completely team orientated. Yep. Yeah. Look, uh, let's talk about our best players. El Scorcho, I'll start with you, mate. Uh, you can't go past Boke. I think uh, just led from the front, just you know, 
12 clearances. The next highest in the game was four, which was Graham Wines, and then the best for Richmond was three. He just owned the ball in the middle. He just basically did what he wanted with it, um, and it's just amazing. You know, I think maybe he doesn't get the uh, – you know, we just expect it from him every week now, and he does it most weeks. You know, he's just a fantastic footballer. Um, I guess outside of him uh, – Jonas, I think, was probably my next best. Um, just no matter what role we put him in, we can put him on, you know, as a as a key position defender on a guy much bigger than him. We can put him on a small, like a like a Ballantyne, um, or we can put play him loose. And I think he was loose for a lot of the game uh, yesterday. And he just just you know handles himself brilliantly. Um, Twelve marks across half back, you know, really launching us out of defence. And uh, yeah, I, I really love Jonas as a player. Uh, he's been been absolutely brilliant this year. One of the stories of the year for us. So I'd say he'd be my next best. But you could throw a blanket over about, you know, well, pretty much the whole team. It was a, an amazing team effort. Rick? Yeah, I had um, – I did have the emotional side of me going and saying Jakey need, but Travis Boak uh, was uh, clearly best on ground, even if you look at it the first half only and not even over the whole game. Uh, but I, I've definitely got Jake need up there as – second best. I, I thought his game uh, for a small forward was fantastic. He just pressured the whole game, put his body on the line the whole game, and he got the, the fruits uh, for his hard work with three goals. And, you know, for a young fella, he could have been overawed by the occasion, and he really stood up, and uh, he soaked in the atmosphere, and you could tell he just enjoyed being out there. And, you know, he was like a little mini Byron, really. He was... Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, he he played, you know, in Byron's that's exactly spirit. Exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah, that's he, a really good call. He played with he played with Byron's spirit, but obviously without the size. Um, but he had the physical presence of what Byron used to play with. It was fantastic. And you know, I don't really get emotional at football, but if I was going to get emotional, uh, his performance would probably be the thing that would uh, would do it. Um, I thought Brad. I had Brad Ebert as uh, third best on ground because I thought he, he dominated that first half with his linkage play and and pressure acts. He he was right up there. Um, the the coaches did a, a very very smart move with Tom Jonas and and ro- even rotating our loose man. But you know Tom Jonas stood up again. Um, he had his downtime when we lost the two key defenders. But since those boys have come back, he he's become the uh, the master. Uh, uh, loose man uh, defender for us. And then, I mean, look, at you could probably have uh, a remaining 18 players going into into fifth best. So, you know, I'll probably put the whole team down um, as fifth best. But I, Hamish Hartlett, just for his courage, uh, you know, took a gutsy mark, plus that courageous incident. Um, you know, he had a great game. Yeah. Spot on. Uh, just, just, to, just to cut in, am I right that um, we got Hompshire need for I – I think it was the compensation pick we got for Chaplin. Is that right? I believe uh, that's the case. It was one of the Pierce or yeah, Chaplin compensation was, picks. I, I'd love – It was a second-round pick. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I believe – Pick 29 or 28 yeah, or something like that. We, we got two in a row for Pierce and Chaplin uh, in terms of compensation. I'm just really hoping that it was the uh, the Chaplin compensation pick that got us – Need and Hobbs, just the uh, the heart and skill and endeavour they put in week in week out. Um, even one of them would be miles better than we ever got from Chaplin. Uh, to have two of them is amazing. So, yeah, just uh, well, I mean, just we didn't even need Hobbs on the weekend. He was he was hard. I thought he was hardly cited as well for the game. You know, it was just uh, it was a luxury, really. You know, a fantastic player for us. Yeah. I hear yes. Frenchy typing. Jack Homsch and Jakey Need for pick twenty nine. 
which was the free agency pick for Daniel Pierce. Ah, Pierce, that's disappointing. Bugger. I, I've got, I've got yeah, nothing, nothing bad to say about Pierce. I'm a, I'm a Pierce fan. So, oh. oh, well, it would have been a, a little bit more poetic. I'll, I'll cut this one, bit but... out and I'll add it in next week when we beat Freeman. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, my best players, you can't go past King Travis Boak. He was just phenomenal on the weekend. Just, just about the best leader we've had. Um, you know, the things he does in the contest is just brilliant. Uh, Tommy Jonas, I won't say much because I think uh, El Scorcho, you summed him up absolutely perfectly. He had a fantastic game on the weekend. Two times now in the last three weeks, he's been pretty much best on ground. Jakey Needi had best on ground at half time. I thought he, he fell out of the game a little bit after that, but his first half, his first quarter in particular, was, uh, was the absolute catalyst. Um, to us winning that game. He was uh, he was phenomenal, and he pretty much had a play in every single goal we kicked in that first quarter. Um, Kane Corns for his job on Trent Cochin was brilliant. Um, and if I was to pick a name as fifth best, I'd probably go Ollie Wines, just because for a, a second-year player, a 20-year-old kid, you know, 24 touches, two goals, four clearances, three goal assists, just, he makes me more excited than a Jennifer Lawrence nude shot this guy. <laughs> really? Pretty you much. Made, you made me look up those pictures. Those pictures are pretty good. <laughs> They're not bad. Ollie Wines is better. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable with Wines, uh, you know, just what we expect him to do week in, week out, given how young he is. You know, if he was if he was half as productive as he is, we'd think he was you know, going to be a really good player. For him to be not just a, a good young midfielder, but a, a really good, solid AFL-quality midfielder um, who performs more often than not really well uh, at the age he is, I can't wait till he's 25, 26, you know, and oh. just dominating. So brilliant, brilliant to see his development. And what about quickly, what about the Chad's marks? <laughs> Stunning. Yeah. Although I thought his, uh, his first grab, the more spectacular one, didn't get the reception from the crowd that I thought it should have. Yeah, oh. I agree. I, I think maybe at that point we're all so up and about that um, – that you know we, we didn't really have anywhere to go, and I think by the second one, with uh, the Sting had gone out of the game in the second half, and maybe we'd come down a bit. It was a bit like yep. the uh, that what what will be mark of the year in the St Kilda game, uh, where the the game was over, we were just basically counting down time and enjoying ourselves, and then uh, Chad kind of popped up to get everyone back out of their seats, which is really good. Let's, uh, let's talk about the SANFL, which was uh, very, very disappointing. It was a 13-point loss. Uh, we lost 12 goals, 7 to 13 goals, 14. Benny Newton was the only multiple goal scorer with two. Um, quite simply, you can't expect to win a game, let alone a final, by only playing 20 minutes of good footy. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, mate. Yeah. Jinx, you can't talk anymore. Don't tell you, you can. <laughs> Well, that kills the podcast, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> nah, we we sort of were a bit complacent, weren't we, Macca and El Scorcho? We um, but I think we are our reserve side or our Maggie's team. Um, we we are definitely struggling for height, which is starting to hurt us. Yep. Yeah. As soon as uh, Renouf went down, it was always going to spell um, a bit of a drama for the Magpies in particular, let alone the power side, but. I mean, we just don't have anyone of extreme height that can actually play in the ruck. Um, you know, Harvey's doing a, a decent job in there. Brueggemann's trying his heart out, but, you know, they're both not ruck height, and Boulderstone absolutely tore us to pieces. 
yeah, it's it's a killer. I mean, it's just you know we took the risk at the start of the year, I guess, with only having, I mean, uh, on the power list anyway, only having uh, the three recognised ruckmen. Um, mm. And you know, it's all well and good having. Uh, I mean, I, I, it might work out really well for us that Harvey plays a year uh, or half a year as he has um, playing a lot of the ruck. It might. It might really develop as a, as a footballer, and hopefully that's the case. But uh, it's definitely hurt this year in every game. You know, um, you can't. I mean, I guess a lot of other SNFL sides you can just walk over, um, and it doesn't really matter if you know you're, you're undersized in one position. But Nord play probably more than any other um, SNFL side uh, a real AFL style of game, and they punish you for your mistakes. And um, they they really know how to kind of take advantage of. Uh, of, of a weakness and they were really able to exploit that probably more than they have um, in, in other games we've played in this year. So it was disappointing. Yeah. It was, a, it was a very, um, it was almost the exact opposite to what we showed on, on Sunday at AFL level where, you know, we really struggled for intensity and I, I don't think we handled their pressure at all. Um, as was the case in round one against Norwood um, as well. I thought our skills were well down. We weren't hitting our targets. Um, we really struggled for, for finding targets at half forward. Um, and we were far too loose across half back as well. And Campbell Heath probably had his <laughs> the worst game back you could possibly have, couldn't you? I love Campbell Heath. I think he's a great player. But I don't think he probably should have been out there. And it's not like picking on him because he's coming back from a pretty bad injury. Oh, man. absolutely. And First it, game back. But yeah, they exposed it's, it's not they? the right game. It's not the right game to uh, to no. play a, a first player back um, in a second semi final no. against your arch rival. It's not doing him any justice, really, to be honest. And no. um, but yeah, and I mean, look, he wasn't the re- the reason we lost the game, but oh, God uh, no. it, God it God. was a very noticeable fact at the game, wasn't it? That uh, he he was just out of form, under, yep. understandably so. But he wasn't alone. I mean, no, did I didn't think our our pushing AFL players, trying to get into the senior side, uh, probably created enough influence in the game uh, yeah. either. You know, Paul Stewart was was okay, uh, but he could have probably done a lot more. Uh, Aaron Young was the same, and, and I thought Benny Newton was the same as well. Mm. I thought Aaron Young was probably our best player. I thought he was our best, uh, our best on ground. Um, certainly across four quarters, he played the best uh, four-quarter game um, in the team. Benny Newton had a, a ripping sort of 30 to 40 minutes there, but, but fell out of it, uh, especially in the first half, I thought. Um, Tommy Logan was, was just okay. I thought Brendan Archie's third quarter was the real catalyst to our comeback. Mm. Um, and Jarman Impey did a, did a really good defensive job on, uh, on to start with Phillips, and then he went on to Wilson and, and shut him out of the game as well. So he's certainly uh, in line for a recall if Whitey doesn't come up. Um, but we just had too many senior players down. I thought Paul Stewart was uh, was invisible. Um, I thought Sammy Gray really struggled. Um, Summerton was that was his worst game for the year. Um, you know, Cracker was disappointing. Um, and then we just lacked a target up forward. You know, Mason Shaw took a big grab and, and, and kicked the uh, the first goal of the game, and and then uh, was pretty much not seen again from that moment on. Yeah, and we we. We allowed Norwood to fit around to the other side way too easily and way too often. Yeah. Um, you know, we were almost unaccountable with them transitioning from one side of the over uh, to the other. And once they got it around, they just sort of tore us a new one going forward. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of our uh, 
the, the low when we were in our AFL side where we were playing badly, where we just couldn't seem to find targets up forward. Um, we couldn't get our, our run going, and we just seemed to be getting swarms by the other teams. Um, you know, uh, it was, yeah, it reminded me a lot of those, you know, you, you know the Collingwood-Richmond games, uh, those sort of games. Um, and we just couldn't get anything going. And it didn't seem like we were that, you know, we maybe maybe were only 5% off, but that, uh, that 5% was enough to just make us non-competitive for three three quarters, basically. So mm. it was frustrating, frustrating to watch. The disappointing part for me was that we just didn't really seem to try anything different in that last quarter. It's something that Ford mentioned um, on the boards as well was that it really did look like a reserve side out there as opposed to the Port Adelaide Football Club playing in a final. Yeah. Because we, we just didn't, you know, when Nord got all that momentum going in that last quarter, we just didn't seem to try anything different. You know, we didn't flood the back lines. We didn't flood the midfield. We didn't change players around. We didn't, you know, move players here and there. It, it was just, oh, well, let's hope that what we're doing can, uh, can turn it back around again. Yeah. That was the most disappointing part for me. Is that maybe the perils of the team being a reserve side? So it's oh, more definitely. it's yep. more about seeing players play their specific role, um, regardless of the scoreline, um, to see how they handle the pressure more so than okay, well let's load up with Paul Stewart, Summit and Slattery in the guts and try and really win this game. That's exactly right. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. Which is disappointing, but, I mean, I guess that's what we've got to uh, get used to, I think. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I guess that's part of the reason the SANFL supporters of the other teams are probably a little bit um, frustrated because I guess it, it does really compromise the competition a bit, if that's mm. the case. And I know, I know KT uh, comes out strongly um, saying that's not the case, um, but obviously, obviously, it's natural that that is what's going to occur. Mm. But I, I think you were right, Macca. We really miss Butcher's presence. Um, that are extra tall in the team. Yep. Yeah. Because we were playing pretty much uh, one key forward for a, a, a time there with uh, with Harvey in the ruck for a lot of the game, and, and Brugeman sort of either down back or on the bench. Um, it was only really sort of Shaw um, that was staying up forward which was a bit disappointing but there you go mm. yeah look uh, and as i said that's that's the kind of stuff i was complaining about and the afl side where we were having our low was that we just didn't seem to have the targets up forward to kick to and um when it's not going right you know it, having your game plan is all well and good but when it's not going right you need something else you can do and we just seemed like it wasn't working for us and as mac has said we didn't really try anything else uh, but we didn't probably have the flexibility in terms of tools to, to do too much different. I mean, you, you can chuck different yeah. guys behind the ball, but really, you know, we, we needed someone to kick to and we needed to be able to hit targets moving forward and it just wasn't happening for us. And yeah. uh, we didn't seem to – it didn't really seem like a good option to move around. Um, and I guess that's what happens when you're, when you're not quite tall enough. You just don't have that flexibility. Yeah. You know the saying, winners are grinners <laughs> and losers can – And can get – <laughs> Damn those bloody red leg. Uh, we'll get him. In, we'll get him in two weeks. We'll get him in two. We'll weeks. get him in two weeks. Yeah, that's it. All right, boys. Well, this is uh, this has been a long one and a very, very enjoyable one. It was a it fantastic is. weekend. Yeah, can't wait to see what we can do this week against Frio. Hopefully, we can what roll on with another start like that. If we we start the game with the attitude we did against Richmond, we won't go as well because Fremantle are just a naturally better side. But uh, we're definitely a, a big chance to to knock them off if we can start the game don't, like that. 
don't discount us having a, a blistering start again this week. I, we almost unleashed it against Frio, but we were pretty wasteful. Um, so there was some indicators there to show that we almost did it. Um, and I had a bit of a – I was mocked a little bit on the Frio boards today uh, when I said that I, I think this was will be a good rehearsal uh, two weeks ago for this week. So don't be surprised, but I'll, I'll save it for the preview. That's it. Yeah. All right, boys. No worries. Go the power. Go the power. Sean Bergon, who delivers beautifully on the chest of Thurston. Pick it with the overlay. 